Amen. If you have a Bible, open up to John chapter 16. John uh, chapter 16, John's Gospel chapter 16. We're going to be in verses 4 through uh, 15 this morning. And there will be plenty more to be said about uh, the milestone that's coming up in my life and in the life of this church as we uh, celebrate uh, 10 years together. I preached in view of a call here on June 10th in 2012. And so what a joy it is to uh, get to serve here. And thank you so much to the deacons and to the church for the kind opportunity you're granting me to have a little bit of time away um, in order to rest and re-energize and to focus my energies on some other things, including uh, the doctoral work that uh, I'm working on as well. So uh, my family and other things will take a high priority as well during that season. We had to teach our kids that other churches existed. Uh, they didn't know another church existed uh, for a long time, so uh, we're going to visit some other churches during this time. We're going to branch out into some other denominations. Wait till they find out denominations exist. This is going to be great. So uh, not only are there other churches, they're not all Baptist. Uh, can you believe it? So we're excited to teach them a little about the kingdom this summer and spend some time away from Gazin as well. So uh, thank you for the joy and privilege. As I said, this, won't all, this is not all I'll say about this, and time uh, will allow us as time goes on. Uh, especially when I get back, I think, to have some more moments where we talk about these things. But for today, at least, let me just say thank you uh, to each of you for the great joy and privilege of getting to serve here as the pastor. Uh, John chapter 16, verses 4 through 15, if you have your Bibles open there, please stand with me out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God. John writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God himself is speaking to us, beginning verse 4. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is Mine. Therefore I said to you, I said that He will take what is Mine and declare it. To you. Pray together. Oh Lord our God, we thank you for Jesus Christ, your Son, and we thank you for your Holy Spirit that you've sent to comfort us and to guide us. Oh God, let our hearts and minds be changed by the power of your Spirit as we hear the Word today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. It's always fun to watch children learn about different things and grow in their knowledge of different things. Um, several years ago, Ford, somehow or another, our middle son, middle child, 
little boy. He was a he was a little fella, and he had been somehow introduced to the concept of ghosts. And if you know Ford at all, any sort of fantastical creature or whatever else, he finds very interesting. So he had some questions for me about ghosts. Now, me, being his Baptist preacher father, uh, had to tell him the truth, right? I mean, we're not going to suspend disbelief for a moment here. So I said, Ford, there's no such thing as ghosts. Ghosts don't exist. And so I think he felt like, well, I see where he's going with this, Mr. Theologian. So... I'm going to win this one. So he looks at me and says, well, Dad, there's angels, and they're holy ghosts, so what about that? I think it's easy when we hear Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit, we talk about the Spirit of God. I think it's easy to get confused on who the Holy Spirit is. It's easy to get our categories mixed up, to get our understanding mixed up, to start to think about the Holy Spirit in ways that are less than appropriate. Some would argue the Holy Spirit is neglected, that our speech and talk about the Spirit is neglected, and perhaps that's the case. Others, though, maybe abuse the work of the Spirit, abusing the idea, taking advantage of the idea, turning it into a theological end unto itself, or maybe even justifying all sorts of unbiblical ideas and practices and notions. Others are confused about the work of the Spirit or nervous about the work of the Spirit, and so they just sort of ignore Him, trusting He'll do what He wants to do and needs to do when He wants to do it or needs to do it. But we want to be sure that we know who the Spirit is so that we can worship Him rightly alongside the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit is fully God of fully God. Just like the Father is fully divine, just like the Son is fully divine, so is the Spirit fully divine. And just like the Father is a person within the Godhead, and just like the Son is a person within the Godhead, so is the Spirit a person within the Godhead. This morning, I want us to look at this text, some of the things the Lord taught us about the Holy Spirit. And I think we'll see here at least three truths that we want to look at that will teach us about who the Spirit is in order that our worship might be framed and ignited by this knowledge. We, we want to put fuel on the fire of our worship as we look at and understand these beautiful, wonderful truths this morning. So three truths about the Holy Spirit that will frame and ignite our worship of Him. Here's the first. The Holy Spirit is a fully divine person. The Holy Spirit is a fully divine person. Remember this, there is one God. He is totally united in His being or His essence. Whatever it is, it means for God to be God. Thus the Father is, so the Son is, and indeed the Holy Spirit is God. They are all fully God. There is one God, and they are totally united in one another. And yet, there is a trinity of persons within this Godhead. I think we struggle the most to understand who the Spirit truly is. In fact, the language and imagery that the Bible uses for the Spirit in so many ways is just a little less concrete than the language and imagery. For us, at least, for our hearts, for our minds, the language and the imagery is a little less concrete. It's a little more abstract than the language that's employed for Father and for the Son. In fact, you've seen a father, haven't you? And you've seen a son, haven't you? But you've never seen 
a spirit. A spirit, by its very nature, is something that's invisible. And so some Christians even, I think, start to get into this idea, even by accident, that the Holy Spirit's a force or an energy. We get a father, we get a son, but a spirit is a lot harder for us to wrap our minds around. But I want you to note some of the language here about the Holy Spirit. While a lot of language about the Holy Spirit, a, a lot of the ways the Bible describes the Holy Spirit um, are sort of more abstract, nonetheless, there are lots of concrete things that we see about the Bible. First, we notice the Spirit is fully God. I want you to notice some of the language that's used here in this passage. Verses 8 through 11, when He comes, He will convict. He will convict concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Who convicts people of sin? I don't, do I? No, that's not my job. It is. I mean, let me just back up for one moment and just remind you, it's not my job to step on your toes. I have never once stepped on your toes. I have no right or authority whatsoever to touch one hair on your head. If you've ever felt like, when you got done with a sermon, if you ever felt like your toes were stepped on, that was because the Lord did it. It's not my job to convict you. It's my job to preach the Bible. And the Bible convicts you. That's what the Lord does. That's not what I do. I don't have a right to do that. I'm getting convicted too. People come up to me after sermons all the time and say, Man, preacher, goodness gracious, did you decide to step on our toes today? I said, Can you imagine? You've had 30 minutes with it. Imagine spending all week with this thing. No, it's the Lord's job. He convicts me too by His Word. It's not my job to do that conviction concerning sin and righteousness and judgment is the work of God. And so for the Bible to assign that work to the Holy Spirit, it's a picture of His divinity. He guides into all truth, we see in verse 13. There is no reliable, finally reliable human guide to the truth. It's another picture of His divinity. He glorifies Christ, verse 14. All that the Father has, the Son has, and all that the Son has, the Spirit gives to us. There's nothing in God that the Spirit doesn't have access to because He's God. You see this? These are all aspects of divine prerogative that coupled with evidence elsewhere in the Bible, the all sorts of things that only God does are attributed to the Spirit throughout all of Scripture. We can see the way that the Spirit is fully God, even His very name, Holy Spirit is an implication of His divinity and that only God is truly holy. Only God is truly holy. The only way people get holy, you know how people get holy? By being indwelled by the Holy Spirit. God does it. We don't become holy on our own. God does that work. And so we have to recognize then that the Holy Spirit, by God's grace, we see this, we can see this and recognize this, the Holy Spirit is fully God, He's fully divine. You see the way Jesus speaks of Him here, points us to His divinity. But also we recognize, second of all, that He is a, not the second point, the second point within the first point. For those of you that are keeping score at home. <laughs> he is a person, not an impersonal force. The Holy Spirit is a fully divine person. He's fully divine, but He is also a person, not an impersonal force. Force. Notice verses 7 and 8. Nevertheless, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. 
For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. And when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Do you notice the way Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit? Not just there, but throughout the whole passage. First of all, He keeps using personal language. He will be sent to you. He will do this. He will act in that way. He knows, Jesus says. He hears, Jesus said. He convicts, Jesus said. He guides, Jesus says. He speaks. He glorifies. He declares. This is personal language, and it helps us see that the Holy Spirit is not a mere abstract force. He is not simply a, an abstract, unseeable wind or notion, but instead He is a person who is also fully divine. He is not the Father. He is not the Son. He is the Holy Spirit, and He is a person. Praise be to the Spirit of God, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, who guides us into all truth. The Holy Spirit, first of all, is a fully divine person. But second of all, the Holy Spirit is eternally breathed out. The Holy Spirit is eternally breathed out. As we've talked about the Godhead, what it means for the Father to be the Father and the Son to be the Son and the Spirit to be the Spirit. What it means for the first person of the Trinity to be the first person of the Trinity and the second person of the Trinity to be the second person of the Trinity and the third person of the Trinity to be the third person of the Trinity. As we talk about those things, what we're recognizing is what they all have in common is divinity. The Godness of what it means to be God. And yet, we don't want to conflate their identities in such a way that we lose the fact that there are three actual distinct persons who have always and will always be three actual and distinct persons within the Godhead. And so in doing this work, in thinking through these things, we've talked a lot about their names. The very name Father implies something about the Father that he you can't be a father without a child, right? And so in his very nature, the father begets. He's paternal. He is begetting the son. And you can't be a son without a parent. You can't be a child without a parent. You can't be a son without a father. And so Jesus is the eternally begotten son from the father. And so we have to ask ourselves, what does it mean for the spirit to be Spirit. What does it mean for the Spirit to be Spirit? There in His very name, the Holy Spirit, we see some of the evidence in the way Jesus talks about Him here in this passage. We see some of the evidence of what makes the Spirit the Spirit as opposed to the Father or the Son. First, we notice in this word Spirit that the earliest mentions of Him in the Bible refer to Him as a breath or a wind. That word in Hebrew for spirit carries with it the content. It's also used for breath and wind. It's this idea of Ruach Elohim. As early as Genesis, we see a picture developing of the Holy Spirit. One of my favorite illustrations of the Bible is from, I believe it was Sinclair Ferguson, who says that the uh, Old Testament's like a beautifully furnished room. It's just a beautiful, gorgeous, beautifully furnished room. It's very dimly lit. 
And so as you walk into it, you can only see just a few things. All the things are there, you just can't see them all. And then as we come into the New Testament, what Jesus does is He takes the room, and what God does, and what the Holy Spirit does through the pages of Scripture, is He takes the room and He turns the lights on. Turns the lights on. We can see things. They were always there. It doesn't mean they weren't there. We just couldn't see them as clearly in the Old Testament. So as early as Genesis, we begin to see this imagery developing of the Holy Spirit defined or, or pictured like wind or like breath being breathed out. Jesus picks this imagery up himself later in the Gospel of John, John 20, 22. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, Jesus did. He breathed on them. Now remember, this was before COVID, so they didn't freak out when this happened. When he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. And so we see throughout the pages of Scripture the way that the Spirit is breathed out by God the Father, and I would argue also by God the Son. He proceeds or is breathed out from the Father and the Son. There's evidence throughout the New Testament. Clearly, this Spirit is coming from the Father. I don't think anyone's ever really argued over that, but there seems to be enough, enough, enough evidence in the New Testament that seems to indicate that the Spirit is processing or being breathed out from the Father and the Son eternally. There's never a moment in the history of God which stretches back forever and ever and stretches forward forever and ever. There was never a moment when the Father was not the Father. And there was never a moment when the Son was not the Son, eternally begotten of the Father. And there's never been a moment when the Spirit was not eternally, I would say, processing out, being breathed out from the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit has always been the Holy Spirit. And for all of eternity, He has proceeded forth from the Father and from the Son. It's there in His name, and it's there in the way that Jesus talks about him here as a divine person. And you see the way that Jesus is talking about sending the helper, sending the Spirit. And you see the way that Jesus is talking about the way that the Spirit hears what God says and speaks that to us. In all these ways, we see a picture of the way that the Spirit is proceeding from the Father and the Son. God is one God. God is one God, and He is of one divine, simple essence. But He is eternally existing in three persons who are defined by distinct relations. Relations of origin, theologians would say. The Father, eternally begetting the Son. The Son, eternally begotten of the Father. And the Spirit, eternally proceeding or spirated from the Father and the Son. And so each of these distinctions between Father and Son and Holy Spirit within the life of God are understood for the Father is defined in particular by His paternity and the Son defined in particular by what theologians call His filiation and the Spirit proceeding from both and being defined particularly by spiration, His being breathed out by God. Listen to the way the Ninth Scene Creed says it. And I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. I want you to see this. I want you to feel this. I think it's important for us to know and that our worship be shaped by the reality of who 
God is in his nature. And part of who God is, part of what it means for God to be God, part of what the divine essence really is, is an eternal triunity within God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I hope and pray that this truth will form and shape and ignite your worship of the triune God. You see this beauty? I hope you do. Finally, this morning, I want you to see the way the work of God is done by the Spirit. Often, I think we hear it said, and I think there may be some credence to this. We're Baptists, and we sort of are the ones who get the, 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 the worst rap about the Holy Spirit. You know, I bet you guys have heard jokes about that, you know. Uh, what, what would happen in a Baptist church if the Holy Spirit showed up, you know? Nobody knows, or some, some jokes like that, you know? And I don't think that's true at all. I think we believe in the Holy Spirit, but maybe, perhaps, as Baptists, we have not emphasized the Holy Spirit as much as some other traditions have. And perhaps that's, I th- would even argue, that's to our own loss. And yet, let me just say, often though we hear it said that we don't think as a church as a whole, not just Baptists, but we don't think about or talk about the Spirit enough. One author called uh, the Holy Spirit the forgotten God. But I want you to see something about the work of the Spirit. I want you to see something Jesus emphasizes. And I think this is the centerpiece of the work of the Holy Spirit. Our lives. This is primarily what the Holy Spirit's up to. Notice what the Bible says, verse 14. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Do you see what the Holy Spirit's up to, guys? Do you see what he does? Do you see his work? He glorifies Christ. He points us to Christ. The work of the Spirit is centered around and dwells upon the glorification of the Lord Jesus Christ. You think about the comfort that the Holy Spirit brings. So often I think we're uh, afraid that we don't have the Holy Spirit because we think we don't know how to define what the Holy Spirit's up to. How do I know if I'm being comforted by the Holy Spirit? If you're in a deep, dark place, and you need comfort, and suddenly your mind remembers that Jesus died for me on the cross, and God loves me because of the work that God has done for me through Jesus on the cross, then in that moment, what that probably means is that the Holy Spirit brought that to your heart and your mind. When the Holy Spirit comforts, does He not comfort us with the comfort of Christ? What Holy Spirit, what comfort would the Holy Spirit have to offer you? If there was no Christ who died on the cross. No, that is the comfort he has to offer. If there was not a world to come where you would see Jesus face to face, what would the Holy Spirit have to comfort you? If Jesus hadn't conquered sin and death and the devil, what comfort would you have from the Holy Spirit? That's the work of the Spirit to glorify Christ. And he glorifies Christ by when he comforts us, he brings us the comfort of Christ. How does the Holy Spirit guide you to the truth? He gives you the truth that he's heard from Christ. What truth, what truth would be beautiful to us, would be sweet to us, but the truth of the gospel? 
when he declares to us, the Holy Spirit is hearing from the Father and the Son. Perhaps the reason we often seem to forget the Spirit, and perhaps the reason that we don't always focus entirely on the Spirit is because that's the way the Spirit wants it to be. Perhaps what He wants to do, and I think what the Bible teaches that He wants to do, is not make a show of Himself. Don't you see this in the New Testament? The way when people try to take the gifts of the Spirit and turn them into a show? Turn them into self-glorification. The Bible tells us so plainly that's not the work of the Spirit. What sorts of things are the Spirit doing? It would be better if I have one word of edification than a thousand words in tongues that cannot be understood. All these works and gifts are great, but the greatest of these, what does Paul tell the Corinthian church? The greatest of these is love. What is the Spirit doing The Spirit is pointing us to the work of God through Jesus Christ in order that through Christ we might worship the one God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The work of God is from the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. And the way that the Spirit works is He desires to point us backward to the work of Christ in our salvation because God is glorified in that way. He will Glorify me, Jesus said. Sometimes I wish Jesus were here. Jesus is Lord of his church. Whitney and I are leaving in about a week to go to the Southern Baptist Convention, and I would love nothing more than for Jesus to be there. Just sort this mess out. I wish Jesus were here. But Jesus said it was good for us that he would go away. You see, we cannot see Jesus. He's no longer with us. But we do have a helper. And according to our Lord, who we know loves us, He says it's better for you to have Him, for you to have me. How is it when you ask the Lord into your heart to come dwell in your heart, how is it that Jesus dwells inside you? How is it that you live out the life of Christ? How is it that the very real presence of God, the very real presence of our Savior is there with us at any given moment? Is it not because He has given us the Holy Spirit? He has indwelled us with the Holy Spirit? We do have a helper. And it's good that He has come. We do have the spirit of holiness who helps us become more holy. We do have the spirit of truth who guides and leads us to all truth. And God's work is being done by the spirit in the sense that the practical application of all that God has done is being applied in our hearts and lives by the spirit. And it's his job and it's his Glory and it's his, his joy to point us to the work of God through the person and work of Jesus Christ. He is the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the Helper, the Spirit of Truth. And thus, over the years, we sing alongside the church, Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Angels, not holy ghosts. Praise Father 
Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. I want to offer an invitation this morning. Perhaps even now, you sense the presence of the very Spirit of God in this room. As the Bible says, when two or more gathered in the name of Christ, there the Spirit will be. Perhaps you feel the work of the Spirit happening in your heart as the Lord begins to draw you to Himself. If you've never put your trust and faith in Jesus, I believe that presence of the Holy Spirit, what He wants to do is point you to Christ. I believe if you'll turn from your sins in repentance and turn to God in faith through Jesus, I believe you will in that very moment be brought from death to life by the power of the Spirit. The same Spirit whom raised Jesus from the dead will work in your heart to make you a new creature, a new creation in Christ today. Would you respond in faith? Second of all, you may be a believer and you may say, Pastor, I am not walking in step with the Spirit like I should. I need some moments to pray. You pray where you are or this altar is open to you. If you need someone to talk to, I'll be right down front. It'll be my joy to talk with you or pray with you today. And finally, you may be looking for a church home. I want you to know it's our, our goal here to be a church that's filled with the Holy Spirit. I'd love to talk to you today about what it might mean for you to be a member here at First Baptist Church. After this prayer, let me invite you to come. Let's pray together.